Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> they good? Is that good? Was that good? It's good enough. Like. Oh, well, it's good to be back. It's very good to be back. Um, I'm so unexpected journeys. Like, I'm really excited for, I don't know who's been reading the emails or who, who reads what, but like this year, obviously, not obviously, if you haven't been reading the emails, we're doing pilgrimage, right? This idea of sacred journey. And in January, we're talking about unexpected journeys. And I'm really excited about this topic. One, because I had a significant hand in shaping it and making us do it. So I have a vested interest. But um, I love the idea of unexpected journeys, specifically when it comes to faith. Because for many of us, faith um, sideswipes us in the middle of nowhere, uh, out, of, out of nowhere. Or uh, particularly if you uh, don't grow up in a system of faith or church tradition, um, it can be unexpected. It's like, or... or um, all the twists and turns within the midst of it, it can take us by surprise, right? So I love this idea that um, our faith journeys come unexpectedly and they keep going with twists and turns in the midst of it. And they, they often send us out of our comfort zones or into places we wouldn't know, which seems to be a significant portion of the biblical scriptures and the characters in scripture as well. So when we read the Bible, we see people on unexpected journeys of faith into the unknown. And that's the same as us because they're human in scripture and we're human here and now. So when we look at stories of scripture, we, we, we can read stories of us as well, as today I'll be sharing a bit about uh, my own journey, uh, my own unexpected journey of faith, and that of Jacob in the Old Testament. Um, but before I talk about uh, the topic today, which is the holy foolishness of faith and the joy of wrestling with God, um, which, yeah, it indicates a long sermon, and I'm hoping I can trim it down, but we'll see how we go. But um, before, before we go into the, the holy foolishness of faith, I really need to establish some context because I think out of context, it, it can seem just largely uh, demeaning to, to faith structures and faith systems. But the, the context I want to set is before we talk about the foolishness of faith, I, we need to establish that um, reality itself in life is incredibly absurd and beautiful simultaneously. Like, we live in a significantly, in a very absurd reality and a very beautiful reality at the same time. So, a few movies that reminded me of this over the summer break. You've got a, oh, there we go, Absurdity Beauty of Life, that's the context. About Time. I, who's seen this one? I love this. Like, this movie, you've you got to watch it. It's really good. Um, it's a, I don't, this, I'll talk about the word rather than going into spoilers because I don't like giving spoilers. This word, this movie reminded me of poignancy, right? Poignancy is a great word. I've been saying poignancy far too much, but poignancy is that kind of Pixar-generated emotion where it's happiness and sadness simultaneously, where somehow we recognize that, that at the same time I'm really happy, but I'm also really sad and I'm grieving, but I'm thankful and I'm grateful, right? This movie reminded me of poignancy, absurdity and beauty at the same time. This movie, the New Zealand's greatest movie not about New Zealanders and not made by New Zealanders, The Cast, Three Highview Crescent. It's beautiful. This, this movie is, I think, speaks of such uh, the absurdity of, in, of real life. These are just normal people and they, they choose to live a beautiful existence in such a 
Yeah, it, it's definitely this movie. By the, you have to watch it about seven times before finding it funny. Like, but after that, it becomes hilarious. Like, it's it becomes insane. Like, um, another one, Beauty, Shawshank Redemption. Like, arguably the significantly better than The Dark Knight in terms of rankings of like top movies of all time. Better than I'm going to say, better than Godfather Part Two as well. Like, I'm going to go out on a limb. This was. The, this lost to Forrest Gump, also a great movie, but this lost in the 1994 Academy Awards um, and didn't get Best Picture. Nobody watched it. It's become a cult classic after the fact. But this movie reminds me of redemption and, and, and joy within the midst of suffering and injustice, right? Like, we live in a world that's absurd and beautiful. Uh, we um, are in Aotearoa. We've been sunning it up. We're going to parties. We're here speaking with one another. And it's not irresponsible like churches across the rest of the world. We actually just don't have a pandemic um, here in this place, hopefully. But um, it's absurd. We, uh, I have been pinching myself this entire summer whenever I'm in a group of uh, eight or more or whatever it is, depending on which lockdown version in which country. It's like, how is this going on? It's so discombobulating. There's a, the absurdity of being here this morning and talking about wrestling in the light of seeing the Western democratic world implode on itself in other countries that we're like, it's just like, this is bizarre. This is a strange world. There's the absurdity, and I think about this far too often, there's the absurdity that we've chosen to leave a cosy sleep this morning uh, or go for a walk on the beach and come and sit in a concrete building with no natural light and... <laughs> sing songs to God, whatever that means, and to reflect and somehow be shaped by texts that were written thousands, 3,000 years ago. It's like, this is oh, on another place, so 20,000 kilometers directly below us. Well, that's Portugal, but close enough. But like another place, 3,000 years ago, somehow that's still forming us now. But at the same time, as however absurd and crazy that is, it's beautiful as well. And the reality is those texts have been shaping our world Regardless, you know, like within them, it's, we live in a very strange place. The absurdity of, um, for myself, being a pastor. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I fell into this thing. That somehow I've, I have something of worth or I, don't, I, I, still can't, I still can't work it out. I was talking to a friend um, on, the, on the weekend was like, yeah, yeah they they said, you're my pastor. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm 95% human being and like a little bit pastor. Like it's just like it's a weird yoke to wear. What does that mean? Or um, I was thinking, sorry, this is going to be a long sermon. This is still just the... Um, the thing I was thinking about this week, as you do, was the Dunning-Kruger effect, the paradox of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the more you know about something, the more you know you don't know, which means that so often we have those who know the most is the quietest and those who know the least is the loudest, right? Which... Yeah, which then, what does that mean if I'm talking? And like, like, like there's a, it's a strange one. Like, so it's, it's very hard to talk about anything when it's like, uh, like most of my sermons just have 18 asterisks to every point where it's like, it's this, but not always. And then in this circumstance, who knows? And in the midst of the absurdity of life, if you think about it like I do, the, the sun comes up, the sun sets, people die, babies are born, and the world keeps spinning. Um... This is a mysterious, miscellaneous reality I think we're all in. And in the madness and the sadness and the confusion and the angst, there can be beauty and gratitude and joy, poignancy and serenity. Ah, the serenity, not a sound, which is a quote from the castle for those who missed it. Um, so in the backdrop of the absurdity and beauty of life, this is where I think there's a holy foolishness to faith. And... Um, I want to expand what that means 
today because I think we often just uh, relegate faith to adhering to certain structures. But I want to look at faith as a wrestle. And I think the reality is many of us are wrestling with faith. Many of us outside of these walls are wrestling with faith. And we don't realize it because we're wrestling with faith whenever we ask the questions of what on earth is going on? What am I here for? What is this all about? Um, And my suggestion is that is what faith is. When we're wrestling with these big questions, we're engaged in this conversation. Um, And I think the problem, again, is so often we, we misunderstand faith and, and deem it to be foolish. Uh, we, I think um, so often uh, within church, I think I can say this as a critic and a producer of this mentality, so often we've relegated faith to be uh, significantly more about niceness and social cohesion, don't rock the boat, than actually about this wrestle with these deeper questions, um, which I was challenged by reading a lot of the prophets, which was also a potential angle I was going to take, hence, like, this week. And when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, like, I don't know if there's any more holy fools than the prophets themselves, but these are the people of Scripture. Um, naked, Isaiah walks around naked for three years. Like, <laughs> um, Ezekiel is told by God that he's only allowed to cook over, he's only to cook his bread over human excrement, and thankfully God relents and allows him to cook over cow dung, right? Like, um, John the Baptist, enough. Hosea marries a prostitute to demonstrate the faithfulness of God. You even see um, King David dancing naked in front of everyone in an act of praise or worship, where that would get me thrown in prison if I did it here very quickly, right? Like, so the question is, is there a difference in terms of faith if most of the humans of Scripture would be thrown into prison if they walked in here, right? Like, are we, are we off the beat? Or I, I'm not suggesting we become one of those churches, which becomes incredibly cult-like and weird. But, like, I, I'm suggesting, that, like, that faith is messy <laughs> and faith is a lot closer to all of us. We make heroes of people in Scripture. Whenever we make someone a hero, we make them not like us, you know? Um, and my argument would be that maybe the only hero in Scripture is Jesus and everyone else is just a human, right? Which reminds us that um, God doesn't wait for us to become heroes to move in us, but he, me- he moves in the messiness and the mystery of our lives here and now is the same as naked Isaiah and excrement cooking um, Ezekiel and all those characters. Not This isn't an object lesson, so here's three points on how to bake bread. That's not going to be where we go. But um, So today, within the midst of that, I feel like I want to encourage us towards a... Uh, yeah, towards a faith of holy foolishness and, and to discover a sense of joy and wrestling with God. And I think the... Um, it's not a faith of blind obedience, but it's one of faithful wrestling. And it's one where actually the, the, the surrealness, the foolishness of faith is we'll continue to ask questions that we'll never find satisfactory answers for. You know, like Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine says, if you understood him, it would not be God. Which is this real, so what's the point, right? What's the point? And the temptation is to throw the soul in the too hard basket because we'll never understand. But my suspicion is that despite the holy foolishness of faith, despite the never knowing the answers with full certainty or full clarity, the wrestle itself is significantly more important than the alternative of sedation or ignorance, conformity or numbness, numbing ourselves to the big questions. And my suspicion is if we help empower people to wrestle with God better, then we'll all be wrestling far less with the idols we've replaced God with. You know, it's not that you don't wrestle or do wrestle. You'll all wrestle with something. It's just if you're wrestling with the things directly within, in front of you or that which is beyond, that which is transcendent. So the proposal today is towards a faith. Oh, yeah, there we go. Alternative significantly worse. Oh, I swear I 
Yeah, so uh, the invitation is to accept the holy foolishness of faith and discover the joy of wrestling with God. And this is where the story of Jacob and Tim comes in. And this is, someone was back there, got a photo. You're like, I don't know how accurate it is. They still look pretty Caucasian. So I'm not, I, I don't think it's um, like a true depiction. That's Jacob. That's, it's not me. It's not me. That's Jacob. And that's the, in the text, it, uh, some, some texts have it just as a man. Some have it as an angel, some people. But in context, people have come to terms that it's Jacob wrestles with God is the, is the textual thing within that. But I find myself, like in Scripture, Jacob is probably one of the characters that I see the most resonance in terms of the unexpected journey of faith for myself. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's a big, he's a big player in the Old Testament in Genesis. Um, there's some similarities between myself and Jacob. Jacob is the youngest son. Um, Esau is his older brother. I'm a youngest son of four boys, which means like many youngest boys, we have tendency. Jacob means deceiver or usurper. So like, my, like many youngest children, it's not about working hard. It's about working smart because when you're the littlest, littlest in the room, you... Um, you don't necessarily respect authority and you find cunning ways to go about things, right? Which is a trend I've continued. Um, um, Jacob's not impulsive like Esau. He's far more thoughtful and pragmatic. And I think what I've learned is I wouldn't go so far as to call it deceit. Like, like, but like, much like Jacob, I call it creative pragmatism. You know, so um, Jacob's got his ways. I don't, yeah, like um, youngest children always gain the system. And much like Jacob... Um, within the story, I'm not necessarily the best depiction of hegemonic masculinity, like Jacob. Esau was hairy and big and bold. Jacob was skinny and, and smooth and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I grew up as a, I grew up as an allergy kid. Like, I was allergic to everything, right? Like, like so I feel resonance, but um, I'm, I'm going to read the text where Jacob wrestles with God, and I'm going to do it from the ESV just because it reminds me of when I tried to be reformed and failed miserably. Because Reformed people read the ESV. Everyone else seems to read NIV, RSV, or the message or something like that. So, from the ESV version, Genesis 32, 22, 32. Oh, this is, okay, I've got another joke. Um, <laughs> differences between myself and Jacob. I'm not that good at farming, and I'm not into polygamy and incest. <laughs> I didn't marry two of my first cousins, right? Like, I hope, like... <laughs> Again, humans of scripture, not heroes. Like it was, it was different times. It was back in the day. You can't, you can't put. Can you put moral standards back on the day? That's the big question, right? So, Jacob, <laughs> they were, they were all. Yeah, it was all pretty incestuous at the start there. Um, so Jacob wrestles with God. Genesis thirty-two, twenty-two, thirty-two. Um, the same night he arose and took his two wives. There you go. His two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the. Jabok. I don't know if that's correct translation or pronunciation. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place 
Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Very specific. Um, In context, the striving, the contending, it's wrestling with God. The chapter is called Wrestling with God. And it's a really interesting um, story or journey in the sense of people throughout the Old Testament are terrified of God. And here's this guy who wrestles and contends and is winning until, um, I'm just going to say, until God knocks his hip socket out, right, which is really interesting. And um, he is, Jacob in this wrestling, he's both, he's, he's cursed, but then he's ultimately blessed. He's hurt and wounded, and then he is blessed. And what he's blessed is he is renamed from deceiver, usurper, Jacob, into Israel. He who contends, he who strives, he who wrestles with God. And Jacob is the personification of what will become the people of Israel in the sense that Israel is the title of the entire people. So Israel, the people of God within that context in which we partake in their lineage, Israel are the people who contend with God. Israel are the people who wrestle with God. Israel are the people who strive with God. The people of God, as Israel demonstrates, are not blindly obedient, but the people of God obediently wrestle. And in wrestling with God, Jacob, Israel, is blessed and cursed. He, he walks away with a limp, but somehow he walks away better off within this encounter. And Jacob's story is the closest uh, to my own that I can recognize because for me, faith has never been one of like just being able to believe or white knuckle. It's always been this wrestle of this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, this person thinks this, this person thinks this. Faith to me has been this wrestle and the struggle and continues to be and most likely will continue to be. And for myself, none of none of my journey of faith has ever been towards um, becoming a pastor or helping a church or even being a Christian or even um, defending Christianity. Like, I'm not one for tribalism and that kind of stuff. For me, it's just this wrestle of what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be here? And this, I think, in many ways, is what it means to wrestle with God and understand that in many ways, like a lot of what we have defined faith is far more churchianity than it is Christianity. It's far more defending the institution than it is wrestling with God and the divine questions at the heart of all this. And I, I'm, I myself am incredibly cursed and blessed within this journey. I feel cursed because the questions that I've been forced to ask myself within this, like what's this all about, they will never leave me regardless whatever job I did if I wasn't a pastor, if I was an accountant. or it's, Everyone always picks on accountants, but like a builder or a, um, in marketing or, you know, I'd always go into work being like, is this it? Is this the thing? You know, I would never be satisfied, right? So there's a certain dissatisfaction with the status quo or the norm that comes when you start wrestling with God. But the blessing is, I better quote this because it is a blessing. The blessing is, I'm not going to settle for substitutes for deep meaning and purpose. I, you know, you'll, I, like, instead of settling for an idol and being like, this is what it's all about and only being disappointed, there's always this quest or this thirst for more. Uh, one of my greatest, closest depictions of God for myself is a Venn diagram where there's peace on one side and challenge in the other, right? And the divine for me is soft and that where there's a certain peace with reality, but there's a challenge of, but there's more here. And wrestling with God for me, the blessing is it's put to death many of the idols that I've been tempted to hold because it keeps challenging them. It's like, that's not it. That's not the main thing. The main thing in my life isn't my career. The main thing in my life isn't being married. The main thing in my life isn't living on the hibiscus because there's something more. There's something deeper here. Our wrestling with God has forced me to look beyond myself and notice with awe and wonder something 
bigger than myself, my self-absorption. It's forced me to learn to love God, not just the ideas I have about God. Um, and I think the biggest thing that, and the joy, the biggest thing for me is, I think I've been learning that wrestling with God is fun. It's actually fun. Like, you get ruined, but you also you come alive and you become fully alive. And uh, I was thinking about this. Has any, have any of you had a good fight, a good wrestle before? Like, a, maybe don't put, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like a real rough and tumble. Well, again, I, as growing up, I was not the best depiction of hegemonic masculinity, which means normative. I wasn't a rough and tumble kind of guy. But in my days, I have had five fights. I have had five wrestles. And three of them were at stag do's, and two of them were at youth leader camps. I don't know what that says. And, and but within that, my first one, um, I, I'm, I've got a 3-2 win record. So I'm, a, I'm up. I'm over, fifth, I'm over 500. So um, my first fight was surprising because I was scrawny, but I took the other guy down in four and a half seconds, which really, yeah, yeah, I know. Like... It really was something else. The second fight I lost because he was 130 kgs. The third fight I won fairly easily. The fourth fight I was at a youth uh, end of year youth party. Um, this is who knows if it was a good example. Like I broke two of my ribs. I was I, my small my small group boy was year 12, end of year 12, but he also was a representative for I think North Harbour rugby and all that kind of stuff. So he had a bit of mass on him, and he just piled drove me into the ground, and I broke two ribs, and it was the first summer of dating Zoe, so it was just really like don't hug me, but do like so. <laughs> and then my fifth fight was with a guy called Jacob, and I demolished him, which was um, I, I don't know if it's a I, it's really hard to talk weird to talk about like wrestling and things of, is it violent? Is it, well, it was consensual. Like, um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I don't want to draw too many moral lessons, but I think the thing with wrestling or fighting or if you've been in a situation like that um, is you can't afford to think about anything else. You can't afford to worry about, the, worry about the past or the future. Wrestling brings you into the present, into the now, and you're just here and you feel really alive. So, which is fulfilling. It's hard. You get wounded. You, you, you break your ribs on the first... On the, you, you break your ribs, but you walk away with a sense of accomplishment. And the thing with fighting... Uh, this, uh, I, I, I haven't thought through this through too much, so I'm just going to work on this. The thing with, fi- with, get, with, with fighting or wrestling is like, everyone's nervous too, right? Because like, what if I lose? Whatever. Nobody cares if you win or lose. The actual thing is getting in the ring and being part of it and actually just giving things a go and wrestling. So... Um, We'll get back to that, but I think a question I want to ask over the next two minutes before I have to wrap up is what does it mean to wrestle with God? And um, I think if you're asking those questions about what it means to be alive, what it means to be here, you're a good way forward. Uh, Paula Darcy, she says, God comes to you disguised as your life. Um, Romans 12, when Paul's writing about worship, says that everything is worship, right? Which is a reminder that everything is sacred. So God is in elsewhere. God's already present to your reality. So if you're asking or examining or critiquing or trying to understand what's going on in your work or your relationships or with this world or with politics, that is all wrestling with God when you scratch a few things underneath the surface. It's, you're already there. Like uh, one of my friends, he um, came back from overseas, and he was, and we were having a good conversation because he was one of my worship leaders, and he was talking, he was about to start his master's in finance, and we, he was like, should I worship lead a lot and do tons of church stuff? And I was like, no, don't. Like, that's all, like, sorting itself out. You need to actually ask where the sacred is in finance because that's a world that needs to be critiqued and understood. You need to put your energy into the life that you're already living and moving into because where you are, God already is, 
And wrestling with God happens within your hopes and dreams and frustrations and challenges and doubts already where you are. And if it's helpful at all, I've always loved the idea of a childlike faith rather than a childish faith. Childish faith is just, it's just assumes or accepts or is like, okay, like childlike faith is an annoying range of why, 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 why questions. So for me, my, I feel like whenever I'm asking why a good amount of times, I'm being like an annoying child, but that's the faith that we're, we're designed to have, that we're called to have. So then this I want to finish with a challenge to get in the ring. Um, whatever that means for you. I don't know what you're wrestling with in your life, work, relationships, anything, but I, I, I want to challenge you to try and find where God is in the midst of that and start wrestling and to find the sacredness um, in there. And I'm going to read a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, the temptation, before I do, the temptation with wrestling with God is that it's left up to um, other people, right? So today you've all inherited the momentum of my wrestling with God, right? Um, and some other weeks will be Vic or whoever's sharing but it will never be as satisfying as when you start wrestling yourself. Uh, the temptation, and we see this from Moses in Israel. Moses goes up to the mountain. The Israelites are like, no, Moses, you go up to the mountain and talk with God, because if we do, surely we will die, right? So there's been this natural tendency in humanity to always relegate engagement with God or wrestling with God to someone else, um, which means that many of us, when we relegate the responsibility, the opportunity to wrestle with God, when you put it on someone else, we never, we never cursed, we never get hurt, but we also never get blessed from that as well. So within that, um, Theodore Roosevelt, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who is at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Get in the ring is my challenge or whatever that means for you this year. And I love that as we go about uh, pilgrimage this year, a pilgrimage is a sacred journey. Pilgrimage is, in many ways is a, is a sense of wrestling as well or walking. If you are dissatisfied, if you are curious, if you are angsty, if you are hopeful, if there's stuff going on, my encouragement would be to lean into that this year. And as we talk about this pilgrimage or the sacred journey from the comfort that we've designed for ourselves into the mystery and journey of the unknown, I would say take the next step. And you may um, end up metaphorically, I hope, with a broken leg or walking with a lip or a hip out of socket. But at the very least, you'll feel alive, maybe. So with that, um, I would love to pray for us. God, we give thanks that we can gather here uh, and, and be reminded of the dynamic realities of what it looks like searching, understanding, and, and, and I guess tripping over and falling sometimes within the midst of that. Um, God, I'm around in the midst of this, that it's your grace that, that carries us through this. So we do this in the hope that, that you lead us into truth, and if we, if we waver, that you'll bring us back into truth. But as a community, I ask that you will... Bless us, I guess, as we try and contend with what it means to be alive, what it means to be people of faith, what it means to search for you, and what it means to even try and love you. Um, and I, I pray for courage 
for us as a people, and I pray for a great enthusiasm to uncover the deeper reality and the riches of this uh, creation in this world that you've, you've put before us as an amazing creator. Be with us. Well, actually, you're already with us, so help us see you and encounter you um, in, the, in the stars we see at the night, in the streets we walk, and in the faces of those we encounter as we go about our days. In your beautiful name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.